Well, good morning, afternoon, evening, wherever you are. Um, recording the podcast this week from my office, which will be dubbed uh, Platform Worldwide International Headquarters uh, Ministries Incorporated uh, for the purposes of the morning. Um, hey, Shannon, I want to thank everybody that has participated with Conduit, that's been a part of what we're doing at Conduit. And uh, it's unbelievable to us that we've given away over $80,000 for the cause of feeding and serving the poor, and the vulnerable, and the oppressed. Uh, it's, it, it's appropriate that we're studying through Exodus, as a matter of fact, because Exodus isn't just a picture, just isn't a story of one man leading one nation, uh, even though it is that, and it's a historical uh, certainty and a historical fact that this actually happened. But when you look at Luke chapter 9, Maybe write that down and go there later. But Jesus at the Mount of Transfiguration was talking with Moses. And there in Luke chapter 9, it records that what they talked about was Jesus' decease, which is an interesting word because if it's translated uh, another way, it's the word exodus. It's a week later that Jesus was going to enter Jerusalem and uh, his work on the cross and Interesting that he would refer to that as his decease. It was Jesus' exodus, just like Moses' exodus. And Jesus' exodus was one that leads you and I out of our captivity, out of not just our sin, even though it does, but out of the system of the world. Whether it's Egypt or Rome or Babylon, they're all pictures of the world, all pictures of the world system. And in the meantime, as Jesus said his, his prayer would be answered, right? That is, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When, when he does come back and sets up his throne. And, and then in the meantime, our job, our gig, if you will, is to be a part of that exodus, not only leading, uh, being led out of the world system, but also to be freeing others from that world system, a, a system that maybe you've experienced it. It's a system that oppresses uh, someone that is, a, that is weak or that uh, crushes somebody that is not as powerful, and uh, that's what we've done at Conduit. Our brothers and sisters in Haiti that are not uh, as well-off financially as we are, and the system there that that would starve them to death, Uh, the system that would say, yeah, you can't have an education because we don't don't offer that for free, and a system that ultimately would keep the gospel of Jesus Christ away from them, and we're, we're subverting that system with conduit. We're doing it in a place of hope here in Tennessee with our brothers and sisters there, those that are trapped in the uh, the bondage of alcoholism and the, uh, drug addiction and in uh, and, and homelessness. And these systems that would keep them down, we're being a part of freeing them from those systems uh, through what we're doing here, through our giving and through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you haven't had a chance to donate to Conduit before, understand that we give away 96% of the money that comes in. We give it away immediately. We don't hold it. Um, we're not a pool. We're a conduit. We're a pipe. And we flush God's resources from uh, your hands right into the front lines of those that are serving and, uh, and freeing. All those, those ministries that need to be done to the, uh, to the poor and to the oppressed and to the disadvantaged. Those that God has such a soft spot for and and you know what? Thank, thank him that he does, because that's who you and I are anyway. We're rejects. We're aliens. We're, uh, we're in a world system that we don't belong. The, the Bible calls us aliens that we're just passing through. 
And uh, so not only does he have a spiritual soft spot for aliens, but he's got a soft spot for uh, you and I as well. When you look at Exodus 15, the scene last week was the, the, the amazing Charlton Heston moment where the Red Sea parted and uh, they walked through on dry grounds. And so if you think about it in retrospect, this was the entire nation of Israel standing on what would be a beautiful scenery. Looking back over this, this great sea, it would be like maybe in Duluth when you're looking, Duluth, Minnesota, looking over the Great Lakes uh, Superior, Great Lakes Superior there. And it's this huge body of water standing on the coast. It would have been this stunning view that only seconds ago uh, housed the entire armies of Pharaoh. And underneath, buried under that water, was God's deliverance. Uh, God delivered them out of that. In, in a hopeless situation, he delivered them out of that situation. And, and I believe that that's what's happening in our nation right now. We're in a situation that feels somewhat hopeless to, um, to those around us, whether it's the financial system, whether it's your own personal economic system, you know, whether you even think about, you know, the, the global problems that we have, it's, it's not even just our nation anymore. It's a global problem. Brown, Prime Minister from England, this week is uh, is selling the package of a global bailout package because we have a global problem. And so when you think about the system of the world, it isn't just a nation right now. It's the global system that God is going to deliver us from. And it almost feels as if he's setting it up for a, a really grand deliverance. And I'm not a prophet. I'm, I'm not a I'm not looking at this in hindsight or foresight, but just to say, you know, hey, we don't know what's going on, but maybe just like the people of Israel, they were led into this situation that seemed impossible. Mountains on both sides, a sea on the other, and then the army coming in at them from the only open way out. They were sitting ducks, but they were sitting ducks because God led them to that moment, to that place where they were completely helpless without the power of God intervening. And he did. And he set them free and he saved them that day. And he did it in Exodus uh, 14 tells us, uh, he, he did it, God said, because that way all the world would know that I am the Lord. And so whatever deliverance he has for our world, and I personally believe it's a deliverance of his return. It's a deliverance of him returning to set up shop as the king of all kings. That when he comes with that deliverance, that the whole world will know. And the Bible says that every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. Uh, maybe he's setting it up for that moment because we can't fix this one on our own. We've given, as our own government, almost $2 trillion at this point into this system. Whether it's the bailout package that our new president has presented or the one that the last president presented. Uh, it hasn't worked. It isn't working and without the Lord, it won't work because it's God setting it up for his deliverance. So uh, the word for the Lord for us, I think, is what God told uh, Israel in Exodus 14. Why are you sitting here crying out to the Lord? Get moving. Uh, and what a word when you think of it in those terms, because that's what Paul said over and over again when he talked about when he would talk about the end coming. And he said, that, you know, when you think of this, let your good works shine. He, he says that this is about us, not just knowing that the end is coming, that Jesus is returning, but that we should live differently. And might we be like the, the, the 10 virgins or the five virgins that had our oil lamps full in Matthew 25, or like the, the parable of the talents, the guy that found, uh, they were found working. They invested wisely for when the master returned. And so we should get moving. And so what happened is Israel had got moving. <laughs> they walked right into the sea. 
and it worked. And they turned around and they saw this amazing scenery and they began to worship the Lord. And they sang a song, the first song ever recorded in the Bible. Uh, it was a hit song because it was covered again in Isaiah. It was covered in uh, Psalm, Psalm 118 and Isaiah 12, both used pieces of it. I guess we'd call it sampling these days. Uh, Revelation 15, it records the song again as the saints were singing to the Lord. This was the song that they sang. So it was a hit song. I'm not sure if it's a problem that it doesn't rhyme. Maybe it rhymed in the original Hebrew. I don't know. But it's the song uh, that says, verse 1, they sang, Moses and the children of Israel, this song unto the Lord. And spoke, saying, I will sing unto the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and rider has he thrown into the sea. When I was in, uh, when I was a kid, this was the big song that we would sing in, in church. If you grew up in the 80s or any sort of a charismatic church, you probably sang this song a lot. Uh, basically, just word for word. The Lord is my strength and my song. He's become my salvation. He is my God, and I will prepare him a habitation, my Father's love. I will exalt him. Uh, I love that because what does it say in Psalm 22.3 that uh, God is literally enthroned in the praises of his people. When you and I sing praises, we're creating a, a habitation, so to speak, for the Lord to dwell in where we are, where he can rule and reign over us, uh, a throne that he rules and reigns from. Uh, the Lord is a man of war, it says in verse 3. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his hosts as he cast upon the sea. Uh, John, 1 John 4, 8 tells us that God is love. But here Moses says that God is uh, a man of war. And is it a contradiction? I don't believe so. I believe that it's two aspects of the same guy, the same God. If he truly is infinite, then he could be a God of war and a God of love, and they don't contradict each other. Because at a moment when he does return, for every dictator, for every Adolf Hitler, for every Robert Mugabe, for every Ahmadinejad, uh, for every Saddam Hussein, uh, there is justice for them. And if you're a child that is in Rwanda or in uh, in Russia, in China, uh, that's being oppressed, that's being murdered for your faith, then this uh, this is good news to you <laughs> because your deliverance is coming with a God that is not only a God of love, but he's a God of war as well. Pharaoh's, uh, Pharaoh's chariots and his host, he is cast into the sea. His chosen captains are drowned in the Red Sea. The depths have covered them. They sank to the bottom as a stone. The right hand, O Lord, has become glorious in power. Thy right hand, O Lord, has dashed in pieces the enemy. And in the greatness of thine excellency, hast, uh, thou hast overthrown them that rose up against thee. Thou sentest forth thy wrath with, uh, which consumed them as stubble. And with the blast of thy nostrils the water were gathered together. Interesting, God breathing upon the sea. It's what he did. In creation, he breathed upon the water. Here we see him again, this time blasting with his breath across the water. Uh, stood upright as a heap. It's built water walls on either side, and the depths were congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue, and I will overtake, and I will divide the spoil. My lust shall be satisfied upon them. I will draw my sword. My hand shall destroy them. Thou didst blow with thy wind, and the sea covered them. And they sank as lead in the mighty waters. Spiritual battle is that, gang. The enemy seeks to, to kill, to steal, and to destroy. And maybe you and I don't have a, a real weapon in our hands against our enemies, but the Lord provides for us spiritual weapons. 
the, the Ephesians talks about the full armor of God, the sword of the spirits. When you pray with the spirit, it's, it's a weapon. You're not warring against Satan. You're not praying against Satan, but you're praying to the Lord, and then the Lord fights on your behalf. Let that be a lesson for us so we don't have to be uh, running and screaming around in tongues to fight the enemy. We just submit ourselves to the Lord, and then the Lord does the battle for us. Uh, the song goes on, and it talks about him, uh, who is like the Lord, that he's glorious, uh, he's in holiness. Um, it talks about in, in verse 17 that he's going to plant them, talking about Israel, in the mountain of your inheritance, in the place, O Lord, which you have made for you to dwell in, O Lord, the sanctuary which thy hands have established. The Lord shall reign forever. And it goes on, and then Miriam starts to sing. She breaks out the tambourines, which is exactly like we used to do in the 80s. You'd have the ladies at the church with the tambourine. Sometimes they had some tassels. Sometimes they had some tutus. Um, don't see that much these days. But Miriam began to sing. And it, it hit me when I was reading this that they sang on the other side of the problem, on the other side of the situation. And it got me to wondering, you know, what if they would have done like what Paul would have done? Paul and Silas, if you remember, when they were in the dungeon, what did they do? They sang to the Lord before the deliverance came. It's easy to sit on the side and to be grateful for what God has done, for the deliverance that God has brought you. It's amazing, and it's not even wrong. It's a good thing to give thanks to the Lord, to be grateful for the deliverance that he brings us. But what if... On the other side of the sea, facing the impossible structure, and a word for us today, facing the impossibility of our uh, our salvation as a nation and as a globe without God's divine intervention, maybe we could be like Paul and Silas and pray and sing to the Lord in the darkest hours. When you're in the dungeon of depression, when you're in the dungeon of financial uh, desperation, when you're in the dungeon of sickness, that you can pray to the Lord then and to worship the Lord then. Because what happened was not only can you be grateful, but you can be great. Because being great in that situation is our opportunity to show others around us that, man, we're different. That when we face a situation like this, we face it differently. We handle it differently because we have the Lord on our side. We ought to be able to handle it differently. If we're attached to the vine who is Jesus then his fruit that flows through us, his life that flows through us and produces fruit, I mean, then that is the the fruit of the Spirit in us. And it's great to be able to show to our friends, to our family, to our neighbors, to our coworkers, that we handle our problems differently. And it's the difference between great, being grateful and being great. Because it's easy to be grateful. It's a good thing to be grateful. But if you sing to the Lord on the other side of it, on the on the scary side of it, that's when you have your moment. It's your moment to be great. And just like Paul and Silas, it says that those prisoners who were in the cells with them, when those gates opened and that earthquake came, they didn't leave because they were so blown away by Paul and Silas. They wanted to hear more of what they had to say. You want to be a good witness. You want to be an effective witness for the Lord. Be great in those moments of trial, in those moments, in those dungeons of desperation. And it's what happened with David. It's what happened with Jeremiah, with David, with Paul, with Deborah, with Joshua. But just think about it. In the middle of their situations that were so brutal, and they were every bit as brutal as any situation you and I are facing right now, that it was they chose by God's grace to be great, to be heroic, 
and we're richer for it. Think about it. Those people that you've seen go through difficult times, you're blown away by that. There's a a pastor that I really admire named John Corson who has lost both his wife and his daughter uh, some time ago. And in the middle of that situation, he stood up and he spoke at his own daughter's funeral. Uh, It's recorded it was amazing. It was mind blowing. And I, th- I think, man, I wonder if I could be like that because I want to be great. Uh, like John Corson was great in that situation through God's grace. And it inspires me and think of what you can do to inspire those around you. If you've got a terrible situation that you're going through, don't think of it as just a terrible situation. Think of it as an opportunity to survive, to thrive and to inspire those around you to be great. Well, there in verse 22, Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea. And then they went out into the wilderness of Shur. And in the wilderness, when you're in the King James Version, wilderness is desert. And in the King's King's English, you've got an NIV, this isn't a problem. But in the King James, whenever you see the word wilderness, understand it means desert. And when you see the word desert, it means, when we think wilderness, we think trees, right? Like forest and Oregon, that kind of thing. So when you see the word desert in the King James Version, that's what it's talking about is a wooded area. And when you see the wilderness... It's talking about what you and I would think is like the Mojave Desert. Into the wilderness of Shur, and they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. Interesting, because when you look at this gospel, or this story, so to speak, this good news, which I guess is a gospel, what you see is God leading the people to the promised land, and there are stops along the way. And there are stops of victory which they just had. The first stop looking back over the sea was a a stop of victory. And there are stops of dryness. There are stops of bitterness. And there are stops of refreshment. And when you look at that and parallel your own life, you realize, man, that's exactly like my life. This is a parallel of my life. I've had my walk with the Lord. I've had ups. I've had downs. I've had times of refreshment. I've had times of dryness. I've had times of gratefulness. And I've had times of bitterness. And that's my walk with the Lord. It's a picture for us here. And right after this great victory, like often does, if you think about church camp high, right? You're like, woo, on fire for Jesus. And you come home and, and you, you kind of fall back a little bit. And interesting, what happened with the people of Israel? They had just witnessed this amazing, mind-blowing visual assault uh, that, that, that they'd never seen before. And here it is three days later. They're so desperate. They're so dry that they found no water three days in the desert. They're so thirsty. And it's almost hard to blame them because, man, if you've been three days without water, which I have not been, by the way, I've not even been three days without Diet Coke, for that matter, but three days without water, they would have been dry. And it says that when when they came to Marah, okay, they could not drink of the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore, the name of it was called Marah, which means bitterness. Now catch the scene here. You've got 3 million people wandering in a desert. Their children, their livestock, their moms, their pops, their grandpas, grandmas. And rumors would have started to flow through the camp that there's water ahead. And you can imagine it would have almost been like the scene of like the Jonas Brothers and a bunch of tweens trying to get to them, just screaming, running, racing, probably stampeding to get to the water. And the first people to get to the water, you know, jumping in and so grateful. And that first drink, it would have been horrifying, salty, bitter, (laughs) just horrible. It's like death is breathing down them. 
and they think they've found their salvation. They think they've found that next place of refreshment, that next deliverance, and it turned out to be not that. It turned out to be bitterness and, and horrible. I think that the question to me, as I looked at this, was why would God do this? Why would God lead them to this place? They're following the Lord. Why would he take them in the desert? And then the next step is this place of bitterness. Not the deliverance that they thought, because they thought it was. But this place of bitterness. And I think that, I think there's, I can think of about four reasons here, okay? Four of them that I can see. And, and maybe there are more, maybe there are less. Uh, but for the four that I can think of, or first this, that if nothing else, Mara being bitterness is that it's, it's stop number four, by the way, on this walk with the Lord. They've gone from uh, sure they're headed to this bitterness. And I think number one reason is when we learn that life is sweet, but it also can be bitter, that we don't love this world quite as much. If this world was nothing but Hawaii and sunrise and sunset and the beautiful vistas of Colorado or whatever, imagine your favorite place on earth. If that's the only thing that we ever experienced was that, then we wouldn't realize and ultimately understand that this world is. The reality of this world is it's fallen, that there's bitterness. And when I'm in those moments, man, it makes me long for the Lord. It makes me long for heaven. It makes me long for him to return. And I'm in those moments of bitterness it is the reality of what our world is. The reality is, is that our stock market can go up and can go down, way down, that there's bitterness in those moments. I remember uh, eight years ago, nine years ago now, that I had what I thought was a situation that God was, was bringing me a deliverance for me. He was bringing me a a new land. A, it was like I was walking through this financial desert and right before me was this beautiful uh, spring, so to speak. And it was a company called Shikari. And I remember I prayed about it. I thank God for it because as I was entering into it, the money was going to be more money than I'd ever made, more money than I'd ever seen. We were going to do half cash, half stock deals. And we were building this mini portfolio of high-tech companies and pre-IPO shares that were no vesting period, which meant that the minute the company would go public, you know, we had no vesting period. We could cash out immediately. And, you know, we had one company that we had 100,000 shares of. And pre-IPO, me and three other guys that were partners together. And, and it was like it wasn't a question of if, but when. We were going to be rich. And, of course, I had a plan. My plan was that we were going to get rich and that I was going to go into full-time ministry and I wouldn't have to worry about money. This was kind of floating around in my brain and my mind. And, and man, the minute we stepped into this pool, into this uh, new oasis, and it was bitter because we were sued by a competitor almost immediately. It was a great big giant company with a big old Southern lawyer that had uh, clearly eaten a lot of gravy in his life. <laughs> and, and so we get sued and I learned, well, yeah, you know, we're innocent. We're, you know, this is easy. We're going to go and we're going to be, we're going to show them that we're innocent. And I learned that, yeah, you, you're innocent in America until you're proven guilty, but you have to pay somewhere around $450 an hour to prove that you're innocent. And it's a lot of hours. And so, you know, $138,000 later, we won the case, 
but it cost us, you know, $138,000. It was bitter and it was scary and it was not refreshing. And, you know, we had relationship problems in the company and, and then 9-11 happened and 95% of our customers and our clients were from Middle Eastern descent. And it was literally like one drama after the other. And it was bitter and it wasn't what I had assumed it was going to be. But I believe that God led me there because during those moments, man, I longed for the Lord and it built my relationship closer to the Lord because I had to rely upon the Lord because it was going to have to be him to get us out of this mess because I sure couldn't do it. Neither could my business partners. And the great news is he did. And he did take us from, from uh, this place called Mara, that place of bitterness to a place called Elam, which was of refreshment. And we'll see in a minute what happens with Moses. So the first thing, the first reason I can identify is it just lets us long for the Lord more. It's a reality check. And the second thing, is, and I've heard it said this way, Pastor John Corson says that, you know, the, <laughs> the trials, like what happened in Mara, are an x-ray of what's inside your heart. Uh, and here's what I think he means. That I think I'm a nice guy. I think I'm one of the nicest guys I know. But when I get into a situation like this, where bitterness, where my expectations were not met, where I thought it was going to be one thing and it was going to be great and it was going to be grand and it turns out it wasn't, that it was bitter, it's an x-ray of what's inside of me. Not what's on the outside, what I want to show everybody, but what's inside of me. It shows up. It isn't that I all of a sudden developed these characteristics. They were already there. These just revealed them to me, to those around me, that I know exactly what to do and what to deal with them. That's the second thing. The third thing I can see is that, you know what? When you let that stuff out, it's like a giant, excuse the metaphor, but it's like a giant zit. <laughs> You know, you know, when it's ready to pop, you got to squeeze it and get the goo out. And that's what happens in these situations. The bitterness, the, the situation is a squeezing. It's a, it's a compressing thing. And man, it squeezes the impurity out of me. Not only does it reveal what's in me, but it squeezes it out of me. The bitterness people, which is in verse 24, I didn't read that, but the people murmured against Moses saying, what shall we drink? They were murmuring against the Lord. It was just revealing what was in them, getting it out of them. And then in verse 25, and they cried to the Lord and the Lord showed him a tree, which when he had cast into the waters, the waters were made sweet. So fourthly, notice this, that God didn't create the tree on the spot. It was actually there the whole time. And if you see the word tree in the scripture, especially in the Old Testament, we know as you've studied through the word that the, 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 there are pictures that God uses to show us things, paintings, so to speak, to give us a visual. And the tree, whenever you see a tree, it's a picture of, in fact, 1 Peter 2.24, Galatians 3, it refers to the cross as a tree, a tree. And it says to take the cross, the, the tree, okay, so he took the tree and he threw it at the water and made it sweet. And it's the picture for you, it's the picture for me that the cross of Calvary still transforms bitter experiences. It transforms bitter people and bitter circumstances. How? Here's how. By realizing that the wrongs done to me, the wrongs done to you, the offenses, the disappointments, they've all been paid for. They're all dealt with. They're all taken care of by the cross. If you remember the, the, the story in Philemon, uh, there's a man named Onesimus. 
Philemon. It's right before uh, Hebrews. If you've, uh, you've, you probably have to go to the table of contents because not a lot of people spend a lot of time in Philemon. It's a one chapter book with uh, with just just a few verses, but it's a basic story of Paul in prison. Okay. And out of complete coincidence, you think the town that you live in is a small town. Out of complete coincidence, the guy that ends up in jail next to him is a guy that Paul knows. He's the servant of one of his friends, Philemon. And so he writes this letter to Philemon saying, hey, look, Onesimus is here with me in prison. Onesimus has given his life to the Lord. And apparently Onesimus had ran away from his master, had stolen from him. And that's why he was in prison. And Paul, basically, this one chapter, this one little book, it's in the Bible for a very specific reason, because it teaches us the doctrine of propitiation. And that is this, the debts that you and I owe, the debts that we have, we can't pay. Again, just like the metaphor of our country right now, we can't afford trillions of dollars. You stack $1 trillion bills on top of each other, it'll take you a quarter of a way to the moon. So take $4 trillion, which is still not where we are. It'll reach you to the moon with dollar bills stacked on top of each other. It's a debt we can't pay. The sin that I've committed is a debt that I cannot pay. I don't have enough. I don't even have the currency that it takes to deal with it. Jesus on the cross, what he did there was what Paul said here. He said, charge it to my account. Whatever Onesimus has done, whatever wrong he's done, whatever he has stolen from you, charge it to me. And that, gang, is the picture of what's happened for you. It's what's happened for me on the cross. He paid for my sin. And so when you apply that to the situation, and look, I know that there are things that have happened maybe in your life that I don't understand and I can't comprehend. And it's a sin that is so large and your pain is so real that it's bitterness. And, and you have, in many ways, a right to be angry and a right to be bitter against them. The problem is, is that bitterness doesn't affect them, it affects you. It's like you're going on this long hike and the weight that you're carrying is the bitterness. And every bitter experience that you pile into your pack makes it just that much heavier. And when Jesus says that my load is light, my burden is easy, he's just saying, cast your cares on him. You can take the cross and you can throw it at the situation and it takes the bitter situation and makes it sweet. And the cross tells us that there is forgiveness for every wrong that you've done against somebody, for every wrong that I've done against somebody, and for every wrong that's been done against you. And the reason that you feel like they owe you something is because they do. Jesus said in Matthew 6 to forgive those who have debts against you, talking about sins. He refers to it as a debt. They owe you something trouble is they can't pay it anyway. And Jesus says, put it on my account. The story of the Good Samaritan, what did he say? And we always try to relate to the person, you know, the Good Samaritan, or, or we don't want to be the guy that walked by. And that's a, a great way to visualize that story. But sometimes I think it's helpful for us to visualize ourselves as the person that was beaten and left for dead on the side of the road. And that Jesus is the Good Samaritan. And he said what to, 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 the, to the innkeeper? He said, make sure whatever he needs for medical or health or uh, clothing or food, make sure he gets it and send me the bill. I'll pay for it. The gospel of propitiation. And so that bitterness that you're holding on to, the bitterness that somebody did something wrong to you, that you absolutely, they deserve your anger and deserve your revenge. It, it, 
is something that they can't pay through your revenge. It's only through God's forgiveness and God's grace. And hey, that's the beautiful thing. You might say, I can't do that, Darren. I can't forgive him. And you're right. Maybe you can't. But through the power of God in you, you, you have, what is it? The Bible says that I can do nothing of my own, only through the Father. And so through the Father working through me, I can let go of that bitterness. And just like Naomi, I can see from a big picture. Remember Naomi in the book of Ruth? Naomi, her husband, they moved to Bethlehem with her two sons and the daughters-in-law because of a great famine. And interesting, because they didn't see it. At the time, Naomi was horrified because she moves there with her whole family. And then her husband and her two sons die, leaving her with her two daughters-in-law, Orpha and Ruth. And this amazing picture happened that in the middle of their tribulation, in the middle of their trial, she says this. She says, no longer, don't call me Naomi anymore. She says, call me Mara. The word Mara taken from Exodus, it means bitterness. Call me bitter because I'm so bitter and I'm so bummed. But right in the middle of that, what Naomi didn't know, what she couldn't have known, what you and I don't know is how Jesus is right in the middle of that circumstance and how he is working right in the middle of it to bring Jesus in through it. Because what was going to happen was Naomi was going to be the grandmother of a king named David and the great, 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 great grandfather of a, of a guy named Jesus who was going to be born. Right in the middle of that situation, Jesus was weaving his story right in the middle of what she thought was causing her bitterness. And let that be, I guess, our story, our our lesson as we leave here today is that whatever situation that God has led us into, if it feels bitter, if it didn't meet your expectations, if you thought this was going to be a moment of your uh, glory and, and refreshment, that maybe this is not that moment for you. And in the middle of Mara, might we learn, might we learn to be still grateful, to still understand that there's a purpose, that God is working right in the middle of it. And it's just one stop on our journey. Aren't you glad that Psalms says that, you know, it says that though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, it doesn't say that I get stuck there, that I'm walking through it. I keep moving on through it to the other side, because on the other side is a place called Elim, where there are palm trees, where there is fresh water, where there is an oasis and refreshment and a time of glory with the Lord. It's one step on our journey through the Lord. God, thank you so much for your word, that it is a light to our feet. And for those of us that maybe are in a time of bitterness right now, let this be a lamp for our feet. Show us how to move through this, that we might be able to praise you on either side of the sea, on the side of fear and trembling or on the side of deliverance and glory that we know you are still in control, that this is one more step on our journey. We don't have to be confused and ask God, why God, why we can say, God, why not? I'm here for you. I, I give myself to you. Thank you for your word, Lord. Let it illuminate for our steps that we might know the direction that you would lead us in. In your name we pray. Amen. If you've made it this far, 35 minutes in, <laughs> I encourage you to go to conduitmission.org. That's conduitmission.org. Uh, you can donate online there. I don't get paid for this. Nobody does. I don't say that to brag or whatever, but just so you know that your money can go so, is going someplace that is feeding and clothing the poor and the vulnerable, that's a part of uh, serving the folks that don't have homes, that, that need the gospel in their lives more than, uh, more than ever. Uh, you can donate at conduitmission.org. Just 15 bucks feeds a child in Haiti for a month. 
Uh, I can't even feed my kids for a day for 15 bucks in America, but it goes a long way there. You're saving their lives. You're saving their souls. And uh, you're doing what, uh, what Jesus said. You're making friends with your money for eternity in that parable uh, that we might be greeted into eternity. And that's what we're going to do. Someday you're going to meet some little boys and little girls in heaven uh, who are grown up. <laughs> and they're going to say, man, you're that person from Connecticut that gave 15 bucks and fed me for a month. And, and what a great day that's going to be. What a great party it will be in heaven. We all get to hang out like that. So be blessed. It's conduitmission.org. Uh, the blog is at darrentyler.com. And uh, we'll see you or hear you next week.